You've reached the Onkin Radio Podcast. Nick Onkin here, exploring the world from creativity, consciousness, and everything in between to help you alchemize your life to its fullest expression. Hello, hello again, ladies and gentlemen. We are back with another episode of Onkin Radio, and I'm excited to bring to you today's guest, Miss Allison Stoner. She is all-around movement extraordinaire. She has been in Hollywood acting and dancing since she was six years old. She's been in big motion pictures, and uh, one of our common friends directed one of the movies, Step Up 3, where she was one of the dancers in that movie, which, oddly enough, I loved back when it came out, and then got to meet her more recently fun little story, but she is now become the founder of Movement Genius, where she teaches people how to tap in and heal themselves through movement. Movement is such a huge key. She's an incredible dancer. Uh, She just danced on stage with Missy Elliott uh, a couple years ago at the VMAs, AMAs, and we talk about that story, as well as many others, and how you can utilize movement to transcend and and get to know yourself and fully express, and that's what we're all about here. Allison is a go-getter. She is brilliant, a brilliant individual. She's uber creative, and we have a really great conversation. We even get into integral theory by Ken Wilber, and what I love about her is she is so on a track of becoming the best version of herself that she can possibly be diving into her own shadow work and all kinds of spiritual stuff, spirituality. And she shares that. She shares that with you. She shares that with everyone and uh, is a really big advocate for mental health and helping others activate their own mental health. She's a brilliant individual and I'm excited to bring her to you. And so without further ado, Miss Allison Stoner. All right, we have Allison Stoner in the house today. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I know how much you love podcasts since you have your <laughs> own podcast. I do have my own, but I'm typically asking the questions. So. I know. This is going to be a whole new experience. Well, not really. I'm sure you've been on thousands of interviews, but uh, let's... I have, but it's different when it's long form and unedited versus very curated sound bites for something like Access Hollywood or, you know, a little news blip. Yeah, but you're very well-spoken and articulate and thoughtful. So I assume this is going to go very, very well. Thank you kindly. (laughs) So if you don't know who Allison is, Allison Stoner, (laughs) we will, I I will attempt to give a a little synopsis and then we're just going to dive in and let her tell the actual story. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So take it away. Allison here is a, well, I guess former actor and singer and dancer. And I mean, besides the fact that she's an amazing human, has been 
working in the Hollywood entertainment world for a good 20 years since she was a since she was a kid and has done many many things from you know going on tour dancing with uh the Jonas Brothers <laughs> I think you should start with like Missy Elliott Ludacris Outcast I mean, not to undermine the Jonas But see like I don't know the timeline here oh yeah but uh we can we can dive into that, Missy Elliott. Sure, sure. I mean, you were you just like danced on stage with her about a year or two ago, right at the VMAs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyways, and now you're moving into a whole new world. So let's. Uh, why don't you kind of give us the the timeline of starting from a young age in a crazy world where you had to grow up or grow up in a very adult world? I think that's a pretty crazy thing to experience. Yes, I started performing casually (laughs) at three years old, and we thought it would just be a recreational hobby in Toledo, Ohio, where I'm from originally. And then I attended a convention in New York at seven years old, again, thinking it'd be similar to a weekend-long tournament, and then you return to school and carry on. But I won a couple different awards and had a very positive experience and many of the agents and managers suggested I fly to Los Angeles and try out the whole auditioning process and my family knew nothing about entertainment. None of us are in in the arts in that way. In fact, my older sister was first the dancer and someone who's interested in fashion and the creative. I think I just wanted to be like her growing up. And and then I had this bout of beginner's luck where I auditioned for a few shows and typically it takes about a hundred auditions to sometimes even get a callback. And within, I think my first audition, I did get a callback. And then, you know, you just, you have one thing leads to another and you book your first job and it's quite exciting. And it's also very disorienting because you have no idea the machine that you've stepped into. And your family is sort of at the mercy of whatever this production company is asking of this young kid. So even though my mom was, you know, trying to protect me, suddenly I was bouncing from set to set and working adult hours and having a lot of responsibility placed on me as a kid. And of course, still managing school and, and, and growing up developmentally. But then over time, my career, you know, it, I was very fortunate to experience a lot of success in film and television. I worked with Disney Channel quite a bit, still do, actually. <laughs> and then, you know, over time, I, I recognized that, yes, I, I adore and I'm super grateful for this journey, but there's so much more to me that is perpetually hidden behind this persona. And so I started dabbling and bringing her forward by creating my own content as everything switched to digital. And I noticed that while maybe they weren't as viral or maybe the topics weren't as mainstream, cool, and trendy, that I was able to reach an an audience and folks who were curious about the same things, who sought deeper meaning, who wanted to be inspired in a way that was not just temporary and visceral, you know, an amazing concert, but also could deepen and enrich their understanding of life and maybe their personal journey. 
so so yeah now i'm i'm producing writing directing editing you know the whole shebang <laughs> content that's hopefully making paradigm shifting content more affordable accessible and digestible for people all right my friend i want to tell you about today's sponsor and it is one of my favorite brands organifi uh, as you know i'm all about putting healthy things into my body and using different supplements and things to get the nutrients that I need uh, when I can't always have access to them through other means of vegetables and things like that. So one of my favorite uh, mixtures is something that I like to mix three of their products together. It's the pure, the red juice, and the green juices. And it's a power pack of nutrients in the morning. Um, So I've been doing this every morning. And what's been great is I've been taking it on my travels so that I can keep some daily nutrients with me, especially when it's a very travel schedule. I don't always have access to foods that I want to eat. Um, so it's a great staple, great way to um, bring things on the road. They have little travel packs too, which is perfect. So you can just drop them in, mix them with water, and they're delicious. Less than three grams of sugar, uh, which is very, very little, and it's all organic. Either way, no processed sugars. Uh, So the green juice, which is great, is just you get your daily doses, your daily dose of nutrients that you need. You just mix it with water. There's 11 superfoods like ashwagandha, morninga, chlorella, spirulina, turmeric, and much more. The red juice is a superfood berry blend that contains adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps mushrooms, which is highly, highly beneficial to you. There's 13 superfoods for energy support like beets, blueberries, acai, pomegranate, Siberian ginseng, reishi mushrooms, rhodiola, and more. So it gives you a bunch of energy without the caffeine. Um, And then Pure. uh, Pure is about promoting gut health and the morning brain fog is very helpful. It promotes healthy BDNF levels and mental clarity. For those of you that don't know what that is, I didn't. I had to look this up. Uh, Brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's the key molecule involved in plastic changes related to learning and memory. So neuroplasticity, things like that. Uh, What's great, it's infused with lion's mane and coffee berry. Got baobab from an African fruit that contains 10 times the amount of vitamin C that oranges do. It's got apple cider vinegar to improve gut health. Contains all kinds of other goodies like aloe vera, ginger root, monk fruit, digestive enzymes, and more. So you can go check this out, uh, Organifi.com. That's with an I uh, at the end, not a Y. And you can use the code ONKEN, O-N-K-E-N, for 15% off at checkout. Let's jump back. I mean, you know, touch on a few few moments of your your pastime from the, the the Missy Elliott videos, which we were just looking at the other day of like when you were dancing with her mm-hmm. in the videos, like the OG mm-hmm. old school videos. Um, I mean, just amazing, amazing stuff. And then you recreated that at the VMAs, the, the VMAs last year. Yeah. So uh, I got the call about 24 hours before I was on stage and I happened to be in New York and Missy's team reached out and they said, hey, she's receiving the Vanguard Award, which is, you know, an incredible honor. And they asked if I wanted to jump in and and repeat the choreography from, I think it's something like 17 years earlier when I was, <laughs> you know, eight or nine in the video or 10 or whatever. And, and I think what was interesting for me is instead of just treating this as a 
you know, some might jump at the opportunity because they think, oh, I'm going to be in front of everyone again. This could relaunch my career. How can I capitalize on this moment? My headspace and heart space with the VMAs was actually to put healing first and to know when I was much younger, I didn't have much jurisdiction over my time and energy. And this time as an adult, I could really mindfully approach this and be grateful and present, but not feel as much like a robot who was subjected to this machine. So for me, it was, you know, I wanted to, of course, both pay homage and full respect to Missy and help, you know, bring that to life, but also meditate going into it with a different viewpoint and to just say, let this be beautiful let this be healing and let this be a moment of nostalgia for the millions of people who are going to watch in a time when there's so much division. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always a lot of division, but especially right now. And it really ended it it blew up, you know, it went viral and 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 what's amazing is that most of the feedback that I saw, I'd say 80 to 90% was positive. And Typically with viral moments or anything that's massive, you just see a very, like, you see a wide gamut of responses. You have people who are pro, who are anti, who are like, I don't care about that. What is this? And it was almost unanimously positive. And I attribute that to the legacy Missy has created. Mm -hmm. She stands in such an interesting intersection of art and culture and, and innovation And so her creativity, I feel like, was able to reach and permeate all of these different kinds of people. And that moment brought that back for everyone. And it was like, yes, this is just a win for humans, you know, (laughs) like her her whole performance, not not just my moment, of course. So, yeah, it was it was beautiful. I love it. That's yeah, that's beautiful. And I mean, to be able to recreate that from. 17 years prior that's wild i was like i need to go to the gym how do you even remember the moves uh the moves themselves were really simple but actually i only had about 15 minutes to figure out what i was going to do and they showed me my stage flow like what my movement would be where i'm entering exiting um, the timing of the song and i originally thought there were going to be like eight other dancers and they actually let those dancers go upon hearing that I was available and made it a solo, which wow. was really intimidating. And also as a as a former dance community member, you know, I'm very saddened. I, that could have been a very significant moment for many folks' careers. So I, you know, it's it's bittersweet and I I send love to whoever, you know, maybe didn't get a chance to to perform with Missy because of that. So I just want to honor that. But yeah, I I went through I went through the choreography and I messed up severely. Um, And that was the one run through that I got. And Missy's choreographer looked at me and I felt like I was eight years old again and was just like, yes, ma'am, you can rely on me. You got, I'm going to practice tonight as many times (laughs) as it takes. Like I will not disappoint. I will not let you down. And then, you know, the moment itself ended up being great, but yeah, nothing like, not knowing what you're doing, then messing it up on your only practice run, and then the next time being in front of millions of people. Well, you pulled it off. Yeah, thank you. 
meditation Medi- works wonders. <laughs> meditation. We love that meditation. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, one other thing uh, that we we should talk about is is our our mutual friend, the movie that you did with our mutual friend. Which wait, which movie? Johnny Chu? Oh yes, yeah. Step up. Yes. I know. Fun, a funny little franchise that 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 <laughs> that has had going on. Oddly enough, Step Up Three, despite everything in it, the dancing was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and oddly enough, I used to love that movie because of the dancing. Oh, and, that's funny. And our friend and our friend directed it. But yeah, how did that how did that come about? Oh, well, for me, oh, actually that's an interesting story. So I finished filming Cheaper by the Dozen, which was this movie with twelve kids, Steve Martin, um, Hillary Duff, depends on, you know, who's listening, what generation, <laughs> who appeals to who. But I had I had done cheaper. And I had also done the Missy video and the director or producer of Cheaper 2 was working on this small little dance movie that may or may not ever see the light of day called Step Up. And they had been looking for a character to play Channing Tatum's foster sibling. And originally they were looking for a little black boy, but... In their audition process, I think, you know, they hadn't landed on the person yet and they were running out of time. And Adam Shankman looked over to me and was like, can you come to Maryland for two days and just do a couple scenes with this new actor? You know, I don't know if he was new at the time, but like, you know, this this small little indie dance movie. And, you know, it's like, great. Sounds fun. Hardly had the scene scripted. They essentially had Channing and I just ad-lib just to get some banter, like a, a family interacting with each other. And then when the franchise blew up, the writers and the team had the opportunity to bring my character back in for mm-hmm. the third and have her story intertwine with Moose, who was, you know, the lead and I believe the second. I don't even I don't remember yeah I couldn't tell you so and then they and then we returned again I did in the fifth so I'm in one three and five and Uh. I'm so sorry but I've I've still never seen the second and I've seen parts of the fourth (laughs) (laughs) hey that's fair you know I mean I don't watch any movies so that's not specifically anti-step up I seriously (laughs) don't don't see really anything like avatar i've never heard of that or haven't seen it i am on the avatar animated series though oh i've seen that is there on netflix right um because i feel like i've seen some of them just it just went on to netflix i did the legend of korra spinoff i think don't quote me (laughs) you're just like i just go and do them and (laughs) well you know sometimes after a Many years, the details get a little shaky. Yeah, you know, I've shot a lot of people. I, you know, at least I have pictures to go back and look at. But, uh, (laughs) you know, it's hard to remember everything. Well, Um, and I don't always see the show after we've recorded. So sometimes, you know, people will send messages with animated characters that I play. But I actually haven't even really seen the artwork. So I'm sort of like, who? who's that? <laughs> oh, that's Opal from Legend of Korra. Cool. Right, nice. right, right. <laughs> She's got really pretty green eyes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, let's let's go a little bit further, deeper, or 
however you want to call it, something I really admire about you is your inner journey and mm. the way that you're so introspective, so, you know, from the inside out. And how did you get started on that journey? What was your, what flipped the switch and really got you to look inside within yourself? Because, mm. I mean, you were young, a young, at a young age when you started doing your own work on yourself. Yes. I wish I could say it was, you know, a fairy tale or a flowery experience, but I actually think it was because I had a very chaotic household mm -hmm. and I had a very chaotic work life and I was still not even double digits in age. And so I think when I met a friend, you know, in the neighborhood whose family had a certain glue that held them together and there seemed to be a loving presence that was very different, and I wanted to know what that was about. Mm. And so I initially pursued, you know, a certain religion, a religious practice. And then I reached a point where, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of recognized that all I had done with my spiritual journey was repeat my pattern of overachievement and perfectionism just in spiritual terms. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't really necessarily tapped into liberation or a true kind of conscious ascension of any sort. And so I also ended up, you know, having life experiences that were counter to what this religion permitted. Mm. And then I had to ask myself, well, who am I? Am I a, a bad person? Were those bad actions? Will I be punished? How can I be more obedient? And I just really wanted to do the right thing all the time. But in so doing, I kind of made a caricature of myself. I wouldn't really let myself even look deeply in the mirror because I didn't want to. I didn't want to see the shadow. I just wanted to get rid of the shadow and mm -hmm. jump straight to goodness, righteousness, purity. <laughs> and so, you know, life proved to be far more complex than that. And so, I started unraveling things very, you know, with a lot of fear. I was terrified that I was potentially going to be uncovering new things about myself as well as having to question whether or not this new ideology was actually the fullness of truth or the perspective that would, you know, carry me to the widest, most expansive understanding of things. And so over time, you know, I, I just continually looked to as many sources as I could. And it's not just, you know, spiritual texts. It, it's not just crossing cultures. It's also like looking at science and looking at math and looking at art and looking at every industry and looking at the planet and just studying everything. Mm -hmm. I've, I, I think curiosity has been, you know, a big driving force in my life. But I was I needed that understanding because I also was just trying to be okay, mm -hmm. and I had a lot of a lot of pain, a lot of internal suffering, but a deep desire and trust that there was something more. And I think maybe yeah, the journey was a little more accelerated given I had these really strange, condensed life experiences on set and traveling the world and carrying, you know, a lot of young 
performers carry a lot of burdens in terms of like providing for their family financially and making very adult decisions about a lot of things. Yeah. So I think I, you know, I kind of had to, I kind of had to counter that chaos with something that would show me where peace could be found. Yeah. What were some of those methods that you've utilized or discovered? I mean, you know, cause I think, I think the journey inward really takes, it, it does take work and it, sometimes it takes external work or therapy or all these different things because when you're in a hole or you're in this like mental space, people don't really, you don't know where to go, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, and cause a lot of the content that you're creating now is really aimed towards people that are trying to discover themselves. What were some of the tools and things that you utilized when even kind of towards the beginning and as it's progressed? Mm. Um, where I began was with the brain and body. I've experienced a lot of different kinds of trauma, as most of us have to some degree, right? And I stored everything in my body. And I was even diagnosed with a condition called alexithymia, which is the inability to feel and name sensations and emotions in your body. Mm. So it was very ironic that I was acting, and yet I was the actress who couldn't feel Wow. I knew how to mechanically produce tears, and I was intellectually aware that I could be sad from a certain circumstance. But if you asked me to feel it in my body, it would be completely numb. Mm. And if I ever wanted to tap into it, all of my survival threat responses would activate because my body was terrified that it would then have to feel all of the things that it that it had been hiding and rejecting for years. So, so it started with psychotherapy and I even had quite a severe eating disorder which I reached a point where I was like this is not the totality of life. Like I just want to be healthy. I don't, you know, what why is this controlling my my world? What's going on here? And so I I admitted myself to rehab against the wishes of my team and family who were very nervous that that would look bad publicly. Conveniently, one of my co-stars also went into rehab at the same time for uh, many things. And she decided to do a public rehab narrative, which kind of allowed every one of us who wasn't choosing the public side to go and heal privately. So psychotherapy and, and rehab. And then spiritually, again, the, the moments of change for me were the catalysts were I reached some kind of dead end or roadblock or had some life transforming experience where my previous paradigm couldn't contain it like I didn't have words for things mm. and namely for me spiritually I I found myself attracted to a woman and that was completely unokay in my previous paradigm and so then I had to wrestle and I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and I tell you like I looked at sexuality and biology and spirituality and every theology everything possible from as many angles as I could find and for like years 
And eventually I reached a point where I was like, I actually can't, I can't, I didn't choose this. And it's not, it turns out it's not daddy issues. It's not trauma. It's not all of these different things I've tried to attribute to it. It's, it just is. So what do I do about it? Mm. And I had to kind of crack open my belief system and see, see what needed to, you know, see and, and not out of convenience. Right. That was my fear was like, oh, I'm just trying to make spirituality fit my desire. But in reality, it, it was an opportunity and an invitation to understand a larger perspective on literally everything. So, so yeah, the, for me, I think a, a way to, you know, approach inner work, whether it's at a cognitive level, emotional level, social level, spiritual level, is to look at the life event that's in front of you and to let that be the path instead of thinking you've got to stop your life and seek something elsewhere. You know, there's the, the phrase, the obstacle is the path. Mm-hmm. Don't try to get around it, go through it. That's where you're going to train new muscles and find out new information. And you might have to unravel. But once you once you go through that huge dark night of the soul, if you need it, one time, then <laughs> it's kind of like a spiral staircase where you're like, okay, you know, I, I thought this was going to be the identity I kept, but it turns out we got to keep going through these different iterations. But once you do the big first one, it's like your first breakup. You're like, oh my God, life is over. <laughs> and you're like, okay, like I know I survived the end of that that incarnation in the beginning of this new self. Like I, I can do it again as the world presents new information and you grow and you realize, yeah, there's even more. So time to expand again. Yeah, that's interesting. Like breaking your own paradigm. I mean, I think a lot of people are going through that through the last few months. I mean, my whole paradigm has shifted in the last few months as well. And I think luckily, like I had gone through a a dark night of the soul a few years ago and, and that really gave me tools, gave me more understanding to handle this paradigm Mm -hmm. shift and who knows what's going to happen, but it definitely shifted my outlook on life Mm -hmm. going through and especially career wise, you know, when COVID came and it was like, I didn't even know if I would, if I would ever be able to do do photography again, which is a whole different, whoa, if that's where my whole source of income comes from, like, (laughs) That's a, that's a whole thing to look at, but yeah, I think learning new skills in this time and, and then appreciating that our brains really have that elasticity and plasticity to them and believing in the power of changing who you are from the outside in and inside out, you know? Yeah. It, it helps if you have a vision for where you're going, but you don't always know. And I think that's something I've learned too in expanding my understanding of something like spirituality, faith, or cosmos, however one would like to label it, God, God, source. For me, it's what it took to navigate one shift was solely accepting the fact, embracing mystery, embracing gray, embracing tension, embracing both and as opposed to either or Mm -hmm. embracing the space between finite things and truly like 
accepting mystery mm-hmm. as a component of life, certainty can really keep you quite small because so few things, if anything, <laughs> is actually certain, except maybe uncertainty or yeah, change. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how, I mean, I think life, the more you can surrender to the uncertain and to the universe, source, God, whatever, the more, I believe, magic happens. Magic is in like just synchronicity yeah. and beauty and and the things of life that, you know, things that happen, you know, I believe. And that's the hardest, one of the hardest things to do. Yeah, I mean, and it should be said to, or shoulds are a fun that's a whole other languaging like, it, it, <laughs> it can be added here <laughs> that oh i completely just lost my train of thought now thinking about shoulds and shouldn'ts i mean we can talk about shoulds and shouldn'ts and oh, uncertainty silly <laughs> Should, shoulding is silly it's silly but uh, you know i think it's something that a lot of people deal with of like living in the shoulds of what, what their family tells them they need to do what society tells them they need to do ah, what that's right yeah and like the shoulds give you some sort of certainty but not necessarily a happiness or fulfillment right yeah and that reminds me where i was going with like it can be added that sometimes before you reach the magic that you do have to do some just simple mechanical practical reconfiguring of your you know hardware or software so i feel like you know some folks might might look at someone else and say why does it seem like there's this halo around them or this this favor this magic and sometimes it takes some like simple steps initially to do your own healing and to like work at the level of just psychology before you're able to understand or experience, at least in in my case. Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, I think it's 80% alchemy of internal emotions and navigating your fears, your traumas, and all the stuff that we all have, that we've all, you know, that we acquire and accumulate as we go through life. Mm-hmm. To get to that even 20% of creation, right? And that 20% that everybody's seeing that you're talking about right i mean otherwise everything that we're creating is just born from that traumatized version yeah which is we see that all the time you would never know from the superficial layer of many people's successful careers but if you get to the core you know that best-selling author once he decides maybe in his 50s after 15 best-selling books he decides to go to therapy for the first time for some reason and then breaks down and realizes that he pushed himself to write all those books because the younger him was never validated by his father now does it take away the beautiful fruit that came from those books no but that's where both and comes into play and mm-hmm. you just wonder what what would my impact be if i did do that kind of alchemizing yeah yeah i mean we all create from the consciousness the level of consciousness that we were at at the time right and the level of awareness that we've had at the time and love we love at the level of consciousness how many times have i looked back now and been like do can i even call that was that a relationship when i was you know 19 or 20 like what 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 were we really doing and was i even online for that and 
was that love? You know, I said love you and I meant it to the degree that I understood it. Mm. But now, wow. Yeah, I mean, what happens when we get past the eighth dimension of, of oh. the definition of love? Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> love. Is love just another construct? I mean, yes. Perhaps it is. We, we, we may insert here the concept of diction bias, where we each are using different words with a very different individual understanding of them, even if we're agreeing on the typical definition I mean, the word love is so vague, so vague and so broad and vast, right? And knowable and unknowable at the same time that you're like, or it's beyond language that, uh, yeah, to talk about it is like everyone could be listening and nodding their heads saying, ooh, that was good. But internally, it all resonated as something very different for each of us. Right. So, yeah, based on the off of the subjective reality, yeah. the narrative that you of which you see life, Ugh. right? And then yeah, so how does that play into communication? I know. So how how does it? How do you, you know, being the Ken Wilber fan that you are, <laughs> I do appreciate his work. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about that. Tell, you know, how what's his framework and how does it, you know, what's the kind of the concepts because we've been talking a lot about how our own narratives shape the way that we interact in life, the way that we project onto other people, yeah. the way that we interact with other people, the way that we interact with the world, mm -hmm. you know? So if we can take a step back and look at what those narratives are, but even how do we look at those narratives and how do we mm. grow through them? Right. Well, I am going to do my best here <laughs> to explain some of Ken Wilber's philosophy slash framework just so you know, it's best to just go straight to the source. So everyone check out Ken Wilbur. That's, I think, is it B-U-R or B-E-R? Make sure you type both in. You'll find him. I'm sure Google will uh, show yeah. you the way. Yes. <laughs> so Ken, in his book, The New Religion of Tomorrow, which, spoiler alert, is not about starting a new religion. It's actually about looking at the great traditions that have existed for centuries, but recognizing that many culturally and socially are becoming obsolete because these other thought movements such as you know logic reason industrial revolution the enlightenment and whatnot i mean ad infinitum are starting to call out some of those literal details that are like you know if you're looking at the bible and you only think that it's a literal text you're gonna have a lot of hang-ups very quickly and so Ken is saying, hey, we need to kind of look at the great traditions through a more comprehensive, conclusive, inclusive, expansive lens. Mm -hmm. if, if you want to be able to really dive and retain the gems, mm -hmm. dive into and retain the gems from them and have it not become this sort of, you know, not an atheistic culture, but, but where, we, where we outsmart the spirituality of life because we're so gung-ho on ruling out all of these different incongruencies in these ancient texts, right? So I don't know if any of that made sense. We're going to just, whatever, keep going. So he has these four categories of development, and they are waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. And at any given time, a person is both developing cognitively, like in practical ways, and maturing through life psychologically, 
But then in tandem, you have this sort of awakening. So it's the consciousness unfolding. And so at any given time, you're sort of at a different state of development and a different state of awareness. And if you don't understand where you're at, you might find that you've done all of your emotional work, but like you're still very in your body in the 3D world having no spiritual experience because that state of awareness is not there. Or you'll find personalities of people who are so overly spiritualizing every element of their life, but whose trauma and whose identities actually end up causing quite a lot of storms in their everyday life. So waking up pertains to that awakening, becoming aware. Growing up is like you know, what are the practical things that you kind of got to get your, you got to get your act together. You got to learn how to pay your taxes if you're going to live in this society or whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Cleaning up is looking at the shadow, uh, mm-hmm. the parts of yourself that you reject or minimize or, you know, have ignored. And then showing up is how do how does all of this self-work translate to action for the collective? Mm-hmm. Because if you have this amazing spiritual practice, but it stays in your own little mini bubble, then you get to ask yourself, why am I actually doing it? And that's that's for you to answer. But his his thing is there's got to be kind of a social component to mm. your growth translating to it shifting the collective. So, yeah, I don't know. If, I have no idea what I just said. I kind of <laughs> closed my eyes and went on a it's, ta- tangent. It's great. I mean, his stuff is so... It's it's pretty dense. I started listening to the book, and it's very dense. That's so hard to listen to. Yeah, he's he's a really difficult audiobook author (laughs) because he frequently has graphs too. Ah, and you know what? Maybe I'll recommend his one book before that, which is conveniently called, I think, "A Brief History of Everything" or "A Brief Theory of Everything." You have to wrap your mind around his integral theory first. Mm -hmm. And I think that will help every subsequent Ken Wilber dive. Got it. And (laughs) what is the integral theory? Oh, Lord. Overall, the gist of it. What's what's the gist of the idea? The gist of it is integration. So we'll just leave it there. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Wholeness. Well, yeah, it's... Well, integration of what you learn into life, right? Uh, No. So he's not a self-help dude. Um, Okay. He's exploring, you know, existence from every lens possible. So his, his integral theory actually is a framework that you can then put any industry through. You could, you can take his integral theory and, and and use it for integral business, integral mm. education, integral spirituality. So he's almost giving you new eyes. He's giving you a whole new way of being and doing and thinking to do everything else. Yeah. From. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Talk about paradigm shifting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so being the, the, the processor that you are oh in God. terms of, I mean, I'm impressed by the, the speed at which you process, process information. <laughs> Just saying, how have you applied these principles to to life? Like, what would be a situation that you've dealt with where you like looked at it from all four of those the steps of process? Sure. So specifically with growing up, I recognized that I, while I can be incredibly disciplined 
and determined to complete a project, I still have never cultivated my own daily practice, like a daily morning ritual. And so it wasn't until maybe a year ago that I knew at some point of every day I'm reading, writing, and studying, working out, and meditating. But (laughs) that's kind of inefficient if I'm constantly giving extra thought to like, oh, which ones have I checked off today? And when can I slot this in? Instead of just saying, all right, I'm going to start waking up at this time and I'm going to go through this and I'm going to set up my day for success in this way. And, you know, to, to develop those wind down moments too. As someone who's introverted and someone who has had a lot of anxiety in a lot of different situations, especially social and business, I learned that I have to build in 10 to 15 minutes after meetings that I never gave myself. It was just straight to the next thing, hop on the next call. But for me, I needed to regulate my nervous system um, Mm. and I needed to come down from a high or from the panic of kind of triggering my old audition mentality of like, how did I do? Will they choose me? Did I say the right thing? And so building my warm up and cool down was a part of my growing up. Showing up for me right now is, you know, putting together workshops for people that are somatic movement-based workshops, working with psychotherapists for folks to, to create a healing and brave and safe space to start doing some of this work. It could be in terms of taking a look at a broad social justice movement that's happening and kind of trying to figure out your your place and yourself in it and what to do when you've got so much information and you may be self-educating, but now you're quite, you know, just sorting through all of that. So that's a part of my my showing up that I feel is important as someone with a platform to to utilize it in that way. And then waking up, I'm I am, you know what I learned from from Sister Jenna, who's a oh, I'm gonna butcher this again. Oh, I'm just gonna say spiritual leader. She and she's she feels like a mother figure to me. Beautiful soul so grateful. She noticed that in my eagerness to learn everything that I was almost trying to be that student who overloads the course credits for a semester and really should just like maybe take a few classes at a time. And so she said, you know, Allison, a lot of teachers are presenting themselves in your life right now um, across traditions. Why don't you sit down in one classroom and just hang out there for a little bit before trying to spread yourself so thin. So I, you know, I was meeting shaman, you know, not on purpose, like just encountering through random events, Mm -hmm. um, folks across different traditions and specialties. And so I'm right now, my waking up has to do with, you know, certain meditative practices and yeah, that's a lot of talking. So growing up, cleaning up shadow work. I'm working with my therapist on, on shadow work. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Beautiful. I love it. You, you do have to kind of make it a priority. But I, the way I see it is I remember, I remember that the fruit of this labor and the fruit of this process is more beauty and love that I can spread. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm... I acknowledge you for doing the work because that's like the biggest step of of amplifying your life and for better lack of a better 
word is like how can you live a better life feeling whole you right. know and i think the only way to do that is to really go within and to uh, discover parts of you and discover and move through things that hold you back yes when you said wholeness it reminded me of a practical tool that i use and it's similar to Marie Kondo's spark joy method. I learned. I wasn't aware of it prior. But when I made it, I was using it for myself to kind of just like practically sort through things in my life. Things such as beliefs, items in my room, relationships, business goals, and the the game I call Keep Toss Transform. And all you do is you identify whatever that thing, object, item, person is and then you ask yourself does this lead to a greater sense of wholeness or is it leading to a more fragmented broken sense of self and if you know the answer is wholeness great you keep it if it's completely toxic and destructive beyond redemption you toss it and if it's something where you're going well there are some perks there are some pros and cons there's maybe something still here or i don't want to give up on this relationship then you transform it. But it's a really simple way to just look at your life and not feel as emotionally attached um, and to just kind of like look at it like it's an, like you're picking up a piece of a puzzle and just mm-hmm. saying, huh, like, is this part of my life leading to greater wholeness or am I finding that I'm, I'm more broken because of it? And if so, why? Do I need to just get rid of it or do I need to shift and transform? Right. That's a great exercise. It's interesting, like the expansion contraction element and, you know, and how hard it is to like, because of emotional attachment to it. Wow, we get yeah. so attached to toxic things and, and yeah, things that don't serve us. Yeah. I, when you say expansion and contraction, I also think of what the body does when it feels safe first, when it feels mm. threatened. So if you are in a room and you just want to slowly become aware of things at a deeper level, you can ask yourself, what's my body language doing when I speak with this person? Mm. Am I looking down at the ground more and covering my vital organs, kind of like you know, placing my arms across my stomach or, or heart? Or when I'm with someone, do I find that I open up and my breath deepens and my I use my arms more you know to just gesticulate and that gives you a lot of information about how you're operating through the world how you're occupying space and a lot of those nonverbal cues end up affecting I would say, you know, if I were a business coach I'd say that stuff actually affects your trajectory on whether or not you get hired mm. As an actor, I had to learn when I'm auditioning for, you know, when maybe something was, a character was described as promiscuous, that I knew that I could not walk in there with Allison's typical body language because I'm kind of, for a dancer, I can be very clunky and clumsy. (laughs) And I also don't lean into my femininity in the classic romanticized way, especially in media. And so... You know, I, I started studying body language and I recognized when I go into rooms and I need to convince someone that I'm powerful or capable of taking on that task, like I've got I've to lean over the table ever so slightly and I've got to let my legs kind of spread 
to take up more space to let them know I'm solid and grounded and strong, not to intimidate, right? But like that level of awareness of self is a really interesting exploration. And it'll likely, you know, you get to ask yourself, okay, I noticed that I'm that I'm scrunching up when I'm around this person. Then you get to say, where's the first time that I did this in my life? Who was I with? And what's my dynamic there? And what beliefs did I adopt about myself that I now carry every time my body does that, Mm -hmm. even if I'm not consciously thinking I'm feeling that way? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And I mean, you're creating a course on somatic therapy Somatic movement. As as a non-doctor, as a non-doctor, I will not be making any medical suggestions. However, with the guidance of psychotherapists as well as my own trauma-informed movement facilitation certification, <laughs> I am yes designing a fun everyday movement program that brings mindfulness and bodyfulness into a practice that you can kind of release whatever you're feeling that day you can tap into your creativity and yeah and then you can become more aware of of how you move through the world and Mm -hmm. right now i'm calling it body language because that's you know everyone has their own natural way of speaking with their bodies so the great news is if you're like dang it, I can never do those postures in yoga or like, I can't remember those dance moves. This is about you becoming empowered to move as you truly move, not how the teacher wants you to. Mm. So let's define, was it somatic movement or somatic therapy? What, I, how, what would you call it? Sure, I'd say I'd say the, the non-marketing version, right, is like a somatic-based mindful movement program. Got it. But if I'm if I'm just speaking to what the everyday experience of it is, it's like it's a fun all-in-one workout for your mind, body, and soul. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I mean, how did you connect these? Obviously, your background is dancing, but what got you interested in all of this? I noticed that you can meet a lot of smart people <laughs> who are completely unaware of what's going on in their skin. And vice versa, you can meet a lot of people who are super embodied, but don't necessarily know how to articulate it, but have really deep wisdom, whether it's intuitive or uh, emotional intelligence or whatever. And so I wanted to help people have the language, both verbally and physically. And also, I think because of my own journey, going from being totally numb to realizing what's possible when I know how to live in my skin and feel okay and at home Mm. with myself. Anytime that that translates to, you know, a sense of empowerment for me, I ask, could this empower someone else? And if so, how can I translate it in a way that that will make this accessible and repeatable for people? So I think, you know, it's a combination of my own journey and curiosity. Mm -hmm. And then also looking at the needs of right now and asking myself more as like an entrepreneur or business person slash someone who wants to make a positive impact. What are the needs of people and where do my skill sets lend themselves to, you know, provide some solutions? We're definitely collectively going to have an increased, like our surge capacity. We're not going to have the number of doctors we need for the people who need therapy. (laughs) Um, So if we can elevate uh, 
our own understanding and and know how to support ourselves and others, that's a, a great stepping stone to just being able to withstand everything we're going through. Yeah, absolutely. And the world needs more of it. I I feel that way. What a difference when you have a week or even a day where you take care of your being and then you see your productivity, your connections, your ability to compute information improve instantly. Mm-hmm. And you think we're all, a lot of us are operating from a less than full cup. And if we can, if we can stabilize and regulate, and then also not, not only that, but thrive, then we have more folks with overflowing cups to, you know, help, help everyone who needs help get the support that they need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I should be careful here to say it's not me being a savior with a one size fits all answer. I'm much more interested in inviting you to empower yourself in the way that's most fruitful and beneficial for you. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody is different. Everybody needs different types of tools to navigate themselves. Mm-hmm. For sure. Jumping, switching gears a little bit here, you, you know, we kind of talked earlier about you feeling like you're not creative. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) I was like, yeah, you are. Tell me how you see, you've not seen yourself as creative for the, for as long as you've been creating so many amazing things. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. And my, uh, here we go back to diction bias. But when I heard the word creative, the imagery was someone like you who seems so colorful and vibrant and so overtly artistic, who can paint, who has a craft. And for some reason, even though I dance and act and write and made music, (laughs) you know, even though I was in the arts, my brain felt like it was actually just doing math the whole time (laughs) that I was calculating how to, you know, get a project from beginning to end. And some things that I'm learning is that one, I get to broaden my understanding and definition of creativity so that when I look at a business person or a technical person, I don't think that's the absence of creativity. It's just their, their strain, their, their strand, I should say that's strain. <laughs> it's not a disease <laughs> um, of creativity. And then I also think that I'm still, I'm still kind of, um, I'm learning how to feel okay and brave enough to be experimental and creative in things like even personal style. I'm a minimal person so I like four plain walls, like four white walls, few belongings. And and I think some of that is, you know, there's beauty to that. And then I think there's a little bit of fear as well. And like, mm. I'm afraid of getting my own creativity wrong. Or Ooh. what if I like this today, but I don't tomorrow? Is that okay? So just like building that relationship with my artistry and being like, this was just fun and experimental or healing for that sake. It didn't have to be some technical, like, you know, you're in a program to get certified to do this thing. Right, right, right. So tell me what it means to 
let your creativity go wrong. <laughs> right. Like, what is that? No, yeah. Is there such a thing? I, I think the only way you might say, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the term wrong, but maybe like didn't come to fruition would be if you were closing yourself off from just letting go mm. and trying. Right. Like I think, I, I don't know that wrong is really a word that, relates to <laughs> creativity unless you're talking maybe about something that ultimately causes harm and that's not something you want to do then maybe that would be less effective right but yeah yeah <laughs> i think maybe you know the only quote-unquote wrong thing is not doing it <laughs> yeah denying a true part of yourself yeah absolutely you know I, I, and i find it interesting especially like someone with you who's super creative and has been creative their whole lives consider not doesn't consider them or hasn't considered themselves a creative and i think a lot of people aren't even really you know like i th i think the thing is is for me i think everyone is creative right they just have a different art form you know it may not be right. a traditional art form in the words of painting or photography or singing or dancing or any of that stuff maybe it's building a business maybe it's creating also, yeah the way you organize your day there's an art to it mm -hmm. there's a story you tell in how you speak to other people yeah you know there's poetry and how you treat yourself yeah so wow that's a cute little sound bite very good points there tweet Look that at, later oh you should totally tweet that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's it's really interesting like i think art and creativity can be a lens of which you see the world mm -hmm. or it is you know i mean i think oh, when yeah. you're creating life with intention you are creating Obviously, the uh, first, what's the first hermetic principle? Oh, all is mental. Mentalism. All, all is mental. Everything is created from the mind. Yeah. If y'all listening haven't haven't read you some Kabbalion, <laughs> just check that one out. Add that yeah. to the list. Look up the seven hermetic principles. You'll yeah. find it. Well, yeah. What a beautiful, just, I really enjoyed hearing you speak and so articulate and so empowering. Thank you. I yeah. hope it was helpful in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And I absolutely respect it. And I acknowledge you for the difference that you're making in this world and the things mm. that you're creating because the world needs it. The world needs you. Oh, thank you. Likewise. Takes one to know one. Hey, thank you. And where can people find you and follow you on the interwebs? Hashtag follow me. Follow me. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can follow me or find me at Allison Stoner. It's with a Y, A-L-Y-S-O-N, Stoner. I'm uh, trusting you. Probably not to spell that one. And that's on every platform. Definitely, if you want to like send a DM, it's usually more effective via Instagram. And yeah, I'll have the body language courses and different products and programs available quite soon, depending on when this goes live. And and you'll find that at my, likely, my online store will be through my website, alisonstoner.com. So, you know, just put it into your search bar now. Hey, hey. Get your computer ready. Yeah. And we'll be announcing it. Oh, good. Thanks. Yeah, we'll be sharing it. Of That's course. Kind. Of course. You can do a, a whole little virtual event. <laughs> a virtual event. If you'll do some body language movement with me. Oh, my. I have to get I want to see your body language. Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> we were i was teaching you a little bit of like an afro groove 
earlier today. Oh my God. Speaking of uh, not having any body coordination, this guy right here. I don't know if that's true. Maybe just a different different kind of coordination. Maybe I just don't see myself as an artist. I mean, there's, there is so much around dance where I feel like we have made it this special thing that some folks can do and some folks feel they can't. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's get that out of our heads because that, that is what do babies do when there is music? Move. Movement. Yes. We are all, yes. we are in motion. Another hermetic principle. Everything is in motion. This is true. So you are a mover of some sort, even if you don't feel like a dancer. Dancer, I can dance. Wow, you can really dance. <laughs> I can really dance. <laughs> oh. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of Onkin Radio with Allison Stoner. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love it. If you could help us out by leaving us a good review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and uh, sharing it out over on the grams. I am at Nick Onkin on Instagram. You can also tag at Onkin Radio. And with that, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time.